going on porch. Hello, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, spread out every other place and jumping in online. I'm Todd. Uh, I get to hang out here at Watermark all the time, and I love diving in with my friends at the porch. Thou shall. Man, you hear a series titled that, and you're kind of like, I don't know. Really? You're going to tell me what to do? Well, I'm not. But who the one is that is telling you what to do, once you understand that, it's going to change thou shall. You ready for the first point? If you guys get this right, remember for the rest of the series, we're doing this tonight, next week, and then one more. We're going to talk about the big 10, the 10 commandments. And when we hear the word commands, we all genuflect. We're like, come on, man, quit wearing me out. The reason I didn't follow God for a long time is I thought everything I wanted to do, he was going to slap my hand when I reached for it, and everything I did want to do, he was going to poke me in the back and drive me towards it. That was my view of God. And because my view of God was wrong, I was living life wrong. And when I came to finally understand, when I ran into people who know him, when I listened to him and quit telling him who I thought he was, it changed my life. Here's the very first thing you need to understand. Thou shall is better understood as because I love you, I want you to know. When you hear thou shalt, it's better understood because I love you. I want you to know. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Jesus said, man, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. There's an enemy who lies to you about who God is and he is going to steal your joy. He's going to kill your hope. He's going to destroy your life. And so when God shows up and says, thou shall, he is not looking to rip you off. He is looking to set you free. I don't know what you know about your Bible, but if you know much about it at all, you know it's broken up into two major categories, an old and a new testament. Testament is just um, a fancy word for a covenant or a a way that God is going to relate to us for a season and for a time. Always, both in the old and the new covenant, you're gonna find out that God is good, that God is gracious, that God provides for you, which you can never earn on your own, and all he wants you to do is know him. In the Old Testament, you weren't saved because you kept a bunch of rules, and in the New Testament, you're not gonna be saved because you keep a bunch of rules. You are going to be saved when you acknowledge the goodness of God and ask him to do for you what you can't do for yourself. It's called the gospel. It means good news. Let me say it to you again. When you hear thou shalt, if you hear anything less than because I love you, I want you to understand this. You have bought a lie. Every now and then you come across a story that sticks with you for a long time. Can you tell that uh, I've had this one for a while? I, I cut this out of a paper before maybe most of you are out now. You were just now born, all right? This is dated June 6, uh, see, June 6, 1986. All right? Yeah, you, you go, wait, bro, are you allowed to take that from the Smithsonian Institute? That's probably what you're thinking right now. <laughs> I've got permission, all right? So here we go. I want to read you. This is an article. The reason I ripped it out is because this young gal that I'm about to tell you about you see a picture over here. This is June 16th, 1986. It was in Sports Illustrated. This was national news. There was this young gal named Kathy Ormsby. I'm just going to show you this picture just for a second. 
There's a track right there. That's where the NCAA national championships were being held. Then you see a little softball field and a baseball field, and then you see a little bridge right there on the way to the river. Remember that bridge. I'm gonna read this article a little bit out of order. Here's what it says. Uh, Friends knew Kathy, Kathy Ormsby is who this article is about. Friends knew Kathy Ormsby as a perfectionist who would be up running at 5 a.m. trying to make herself better. She led a charmed all-American life. I guess so. Okay, so let me just let you into my word a little bit. 86, I was done. All right, I'm out of college, I'm out of sports. Um, I am adulting. We didn't even know what that word was at that time, but I was doing it, all right? We needed you to invent that for us. So I was right where you were, and I had just spent the first you know, uh, 21 years of my life trying to get places to have things that were gonna give me peace. To experience things that were gonna give me joy, to find things that were gonna make me the man. And I had run every gamut that men run looking for those things. Now, my life by grace was interrupted a little bit before this. And I started to understand that thou shalt was not the way God started a bunch of rules that he was trying to oppress me with. I had just come to understand not long before this that thou shall was better understood because I love you. I want you to know this. And I had been living underneath, really throughout my college years, I had lived underneath, not thou shall, but because I love you. And it changed my life. And I found a little girl who was the same age as me, little younger in fact, who didn't find out what I found out when I did. And she ended up where I was gonna end up. And I ripped it out of the paper. This is true about Kathy Ormsby. She got places I never had been. You get a Kathy Ormsby, says the article, but once in a lifetime, said who? Ralph Robertson, who's that? Well, he was the principal of Richmond, North Carolina Senior High School. That's where Kathy went to high school, where she graduated number one in a class of 600 with an unprecedented 99% average. She never made and be. That's a, a never made and be. That's the one thing that Kathy and I had in common. But this girl right here, okay, this gal was number one. She had a 99% grade point average. She was the classic overachiever, her principal said. Track was just uh, a sideline to what she was about. She was a pre-med student and we knew she was gonna do something great. In 12 years of school in Rockingham, Ormsby never received one grade lower than an A. All right, you say like, all right, that's fine. Good for you, Kathy. But you're a geek, right? You don't have any friends. You don't do anything but study, wrong, wrong. This girl got better grades than me. There's a picture of her, she's better looking than me. It's a low bar right there. So far, it was not a big bar to get over, but she was ahead of me in both of these things. And she was a better athlete, an All-American, state champion. She set three state records. She didn't just win her year, she was the, the fastest, female runner that ever lived in North Carolina. 
just before she graduated. How about this? Okay, but, but don't, don't you hate that kid, right? She got, never got a B. She, she, she won state championships and she won three, I mean, she set three state records, right? So nobody likes Kathy, right? Listen to the next paragraph. Just before she graduated in 1983, the mayors of five communities came together and did something they had never done before. They declared a day in honor of Kathy Ormsby. Buttons were given to high school students in five districts, listing her accomplishments. There was an assembly in her honor and a proclamation for her to hang on the wall at her home. They had a stinking parade to celebrate this girl. Okay, I don't know how popular you were in high school, but I'm guessing everybody wasn't given your button. I don't think the mayors of five communities, all right, slapped some proclamation together and said, take this to college, we're gonna miss you. Now here's the problem with high school success, right? There's always another league. You gotta go to the next thing. So Kathy got to college, now we're about to see why, why we gotta follow ourselves off that track across the softball field, across the baseball field to a certain bridge. Because Kathy probably struggled when she was in college. Wrong. She was a Dean's List student who held the NCAA double women's record in the 10,000 meter race. She was an all-American athlete. She held the record, fastest woman ever to run in college. Now here's the lead paragraph. Kathy Ormsby, a record-setting distance runner from North Carolina State University whose life was one triumph after another, is paralyzed from the waist down and is not expected to walk again after she inexplicably jumped from a bridge Wednesday night during the NCAA championships in Indianapolis she was expected to win. Ormsby, 21, jogged away from the stadium while in eighth place in the women's 10,000-meter race she was favored to win, and she jumped off a bridge two blocks away, suffering multiple spinal fractures. She left the race with 3,400 meters to go. I mean, I read that. I didn't have a category for this. Even though I had come to understand <laughs> that there was a God that was out there that, that loved me, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I, just, I thought, well, come on, man, God, I'm glad you love me. I'm glad you're thou shalt are really because I love you. I want you to know. But, man, Kathy Ormsby, God, I mean, she, that girl is, is popular. That girl is famous. That girl is set up for the future. That girl is brilliant. And she did what? What Kathy Ormsby did is she came to the end of her idols. What Kathy Ormsby did is she realized that um, that the gods that she was serving were no gods at all. Now what's really interesting is Kathy Ormsby um, said all she wanted to do with her life was to please God, but here's the thing. She didn't understand the God who was pleased with her. She, she had in her mind's eye that if she didn't get great grades, if she didn't perform really well, if she wasn't gonna always do the next amazing, most uh, uh, record-setting thing that she was disappointing God, disappointing others, and she was haunted by that. There's a phrase that I've um, often quoted. The phrase goes like this. It says, um, the rich are infinitely better off than the poor. Because while the poor still think that money will buy them happiness, the rich know better. When I read that article, I, I thought, 
Kathy Ormsby is infinitely better off than me. See, you know, in my athletic career, things happened that it didn't tend to fully trend the exact same way that Kathy's did. And it's just a fact that, that the girl in this room that, that, you know, wears that little size two dress, that has that long flowing hair she never has to comb, whose complexion is, is just something, whose body is just shaped like it came right out of a Lululemon catalog, who, uh, you know, who just has it all, she is infinitely better off than you who are frumpy. Because while you who come in this room, look in a mirror and don't like what you see, that girl who looks in a mirror and sees what all the world says is gonna make you happy, she knows better. That, that, that girl that's got a great boyfriend that, that's on her way, you know, maybe to having a big day where everybody celebrates her and focuses on her and she's the bride, she, she's infinitely better off than some of you guys that have never had a date because while some of you think, if I could just get a guy to love me and pursue me, the girl who's already been down that road is starting to think, God, there's got to be a little bit more than this. We, we, I know we shared here, Tom Brady, after he won his third Super Bowl, he's 27 years old. 60 minutes devoted an entire segment to him. And they just said, Tom, man, you know, you've got it all. It's, it's, it's all breaking your way. I quote, he says, I, I got to tell you this. I don't know why I have three Super Bowl rings and I still feel like there's something out there that's greater than this. There has to be. I mean, a lot of people say, hey, man, hey, Tom, this is what it is, man. You've reached your goal, your dream. Your life has got it made. And he goes, me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. And then the interviewer said, well, what is it? What do you think it is? He goes, God, I wish I knew. God, I wish I knew. See, when you come across Tom Brady, when you come across Kathy Ormsby, and you still see them who have experienced what you have. And I, this last week on Saturday night, I, I, I did the chapel for the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm sitting there with these guys and I'm talking to them and I, and I could go right after them with this. You see, because those guys have made it where every guy that's ever strapped on a helmet, ever boiled a mouthpiece, it's where they want to go. They want to be in that room. They want to be a guy that's a part of the NFL. And they are infinitely better off than some of you guys that are still exaggerating to the girls in this room about how great you were in high school and if it weren't for an injury, you know, you'd have been probably there too. <laughs> because you think, man, if you just had that NFL alumni card in your pocket, then you'd have something. Those guys know better. Guess who else knows better? The one who says, hey, man, I don't mind if you break NCAA records. I love that you get good grades and use the mind I've given you, the fullness of your potential. You ought to take care of your body, you know, and, and, and have it be as uh, useful and, and, and functioning and healthy and beautiful as it can be. But, man, if you worship at that tree, it's not going to go well for you. Hey, man, if you, if you got what it takes to, to make it in the league, that's great, man. But, but, but if that's your God, it's just not going to serve you well. Can I give you another point? Let me just give you this point. God always wants to give you everything you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. When you hear thou shall, he is not doing anything other but saying, because I love you, I want you to know this. Guys, th this, this statement is, is so true. And it is, it, it's just that... Um, what we think about when we think about God is the singular most important thing about us. 
And here's the deal, man. There's a liar, and all he wants to do is tell you that God doesn't have your best interest in mind. Thou shall is a burden. Thou shall is a beating. In fact, um, if you went and studied Satanism, you don't have to. I'm going to just kind of summarize it for you right here. You ready for Satanism for idiots? Here it comes, okay? You could sum up the entire Satanic Bible with, um, you know, what is commonly called the Thelemic Law. It, th- th- that means in Greek, um, will or intention. And here it comes. Do what thou wilt. Hey, do whatever you want, man. And the reason you got to do whatever you want is because God, he doesn't have your best interest in mind. God isn't good. His word's not true. And disobeying him is not that big a deal. Do whatever you want. The Bible says you can do whatever you want, but I'm just going to tell you that's the way of death. There's no life there. God always wants to give you everything you would ask for if you know everything that he knew. This is what it says in Exodus chapter 20. It says in verses one through seven, then God spoke all these words. Again, right now, what you thought about when I told you who spoke this is the most important thing about you. We spent a whole week on it last week. I am the Lord your God. Whether you want me to be or not, I am. So that's just not up for debate. Now, you can reject it. You can, you can uh, fight against me. You can make me out to be what I'm not. You can compare me to your old man who was abusive and abandoned you. Or you can listen to me. I am the Lord your God. And now here's what he's going to say. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt. We talked about this last week. I mean, what God's trying to say is, listen, I'm not here to put you into bondage. I am here to set you free. I I like to say it this way. God isn't looking to catch you in your sin. He is looking to free you from the sin that has captured you. Now, I don't know what you think of God is up there and he's telling you, hey, man, thou shall. And if you don't, I'm going to catch you. No, that's not what he's going to say. What he's saying is, listen, thou shalt, because I love you, I want you to know this, that if you, if you don't do these things, you're gonna be captured and enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. You might even have some success. You might get good grades. You might be beautiful. You might have an NFL alumni card. You might be beautiful. You might have some ecstatic, emotional, and physical experiences. But you're not gonna have what you're looking for. There's a great line by a guy that had his own level of academic success and was a great philosopher and writer. He said this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, see Kathy Ormsby, see Tom Brady, see Todd Wagner. The most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that doesn't (laughs) prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for the earthly blessings that I have. In other words, earthly blessings hearken to um, fullness of life. They, They are a whisper of the satisfaction that is to come, but watch this. But I also must never make the mistake to mistake them for something else of which they're only a kind of copy or an echo or a mirage. I must keep myself alive to the desire of my true country, which I shall not find till after death. 
Now here's the thing. When God says thou shalt, what he's trying to do is to direct you back towards his kingdom's way. You were born a rebel in a rebel world. And the world keeps going a way that seems right to them, but in this, it's the way of death. Let me just give you one of the ways of the world. Here's one of the ways of the world. When the world doesn't think about God correctly, they are filled with anxiety and despair. When somebody is filled with anxiety or despair, we put them on meds. And we just try and numb them from their pain. And then we tweak meds the rest of their days. And sometimes their meds don't do what needs to be done, and they beat their wife and abuse their child. And sometimes that doesn't satisfy their anger and their need to lash out in pain, and so they grab a gun and they kill as many as they can in a town not far from where they live. You see, there's another way. And God is <laughs> trying to help us and, and bring us to it. He loves us. And he wants us to know there is a better way. In Exodus 20, you guys need to understand that that little verse right there in verse two, he says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. What God is telling him is, I'm about to tell you how to operate with me. And I am good. You were slaves. You had nothing. You were being abused. And you were sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so you cried out to me for a deliverer. And in my grace, I brought you one. And now you have come to know that I am the one true God. So you may not know much about Exodus 1 through 19, but let me summarize it for you. There was a group of people that were slaves, that were abused, that were oppressed, that lived in a land where there were a multitude of gods. And those gods had been thoroughly mocked. They were proven to not be gods at all. The God of the Nile turned to blood. The God of frogs multiplied to the point of nuisance. Lice, gnats, flies, on and on and on and on. The God of the sky tortured them. Every plague that happened in Exodus 1 through 19 was a plague that mocked and took the gods of Egypt, the only gods the world knew that must be great because Egypt was the most powerful nation on earth, and absolutely brought sadness through them. God was showing there is no other God but me. And that is exactly what Moses tried to tell, not just the Jews, but even Egypt. And he was telling Pharaoh, Pharaoh, look, man, you got a lot of power. I'm glad you're Kathy Ormsby right now. I'm glad you got your Pharaoh alumni card in your pocket. But there's no life there for long. Because you must do business with me. And I'm going to show you myself. And God showed the idols of Egypt were vain idols. And the people of Israel were set free from the bondage that they were in. And now God brought them out. Here's a note. The law was not given to redeem a people. This is so important. The law was given to a redeemed people. God never gives us the law so that by the law we might be set free. God shows us that he is good, and then he says, thou shall. I love you. I have done for you what you can't do for yourself. If you want to continue to have a great life, don't do what you yourself want to do because you're a rebel boy in a rebel land. But by faith, you can trust in me and not how you feel and not what the world offers, and it will bless you. Do you know what happens at the end of the Old Testament? The very first words that God on earth speaks are these words. 
blessed. You know what that word means? It means happy. You want to be happy? Be poor in spirit. Don't be arrogant. Don't tell me where you're going to find life. You're not going to find life in those things. It's okay if you have relationships. I want you to have relationships. Here's how to have relationships at work. Thou shalt do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Thou shalt not treat each other like sex toys. Thou shalt. And on and on he goes because he goes, I don't want you to have moments where you're Pleased, but then you have poison that ultimately breaks down your world and the society of which you live. I love you. And God never tells you what to do until he's told you who he is. He starts by giving you a resume. I'm the God that set you free and brought you out of bondage. Romans 8, 32 says this. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? The argument of Paul is, hey, this God that brought us out of Egypt, of slavery and of judgment, if God will die for us, if that's his son and he demonstrated his love for me while he, by dying on the cross, won't he thou shall me to other great things? Why wouldn't I listen to that God? And so with that as the setup, guys, we move to verse three. And here's what verse three says. It says, you shall, thou shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. God is only concerned with one thing. He's only concerned with one thing. By the way, do you know why Jesus died on the cross? It's not because he loves you. That's a secondary benefit. Um, it, it's a secondary reason. The primary reason that God died on the cross is because he is holy and the wages of sin is death. And because God is love, he has to do what love demands that he does. And so love demands that he saves, but he's just and he can't save wicked people. So he had to appease his own eternal perfection by offering an eternally perfect sacrifice. There's not a lot of those laying around. Enter the son of God. Who does for you what cannot be done. It's not until Jesus demonstrates his love that he says, Hey, man, follow me. That's why Jesus came and reversed some of the effects of the fall. He would find lame people, which there was no lameness prior to us abandoning God. There was no sickness or death prior to us abandoning God. And what he does is he shows he has the power to reverse the effects of the curse. Who can do that except the one that is more powerful than the one that brought the curse? But God ultimately had to make sure that the payment was made. And so in order to establish his glory and to satisfy his justice, he demonstrated his holiness on a cross. And in the demonstration of his holiness, for the purpose of saving you and me, we saw the demonstration of his love. And so he says, thou shalt. Thou shalt follow the God that has your best interest in mind, not the one who offers you um, what appears to be life-giving, but is death. This is, a, this is an illustration that whenever I give it, it kind of makes it, oh, I guess a little bit. It's an illustration that, that talks about how wolves would deal with, uh, how Eskimos would deal with wolves that are um, ransacking and destroying their community. Do you know how they do that? What they do is they take a blade of, they take a, a very sharp knife and they, they, they slaughter an animal, okay? A, a beast of burden or an animal that they eat and they dip it in that blood and they tie it to a stick in the ice. And, um, and they let it freeze, and they dip it in blood again, and they do it again and again and again, let it freezing, layers and layers and layers and layers of blood until you've got a frozen blood popsicle outside a knife blade, a very sharp knife blade. 
And then they'll take that and several others like them um, and they'll dip them one more time in flesh blood and they will go just outside their village and they will stick them in the ice. And then the scent comes to the wolves. And they hear there's blood there, it's easy prey, and they will come and they will go. And what do they find? I'll be dagnum a blood popsicle. Now what happens when you start to lick the warm blood and underneath it, your warm tongue is melting the very next layer of frozen blood, so you get more and more blood. You're working yourself into a frenzy where as you are melting the frozen layers of blood, what's happening to your tongue? It's getting number and number and number until all of a sudden you lick through all the frozen blood and now you're licking the blade. And what happens when you lick a blade with a numb tongue? You get more blood. And you just sit there and you just are consumed in the lust of your flesh. It sure seems life-giving. And what the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy is doing is he's putting all kinds of little idols, all kinds of little blood popsicles out there for you and say, come and get it. And at first you're like, this is awesome. You're like, here's Ralph. Mine's really good. And next thing you know, you're talking like a slurred wolf, all right? And next thing you know, you're laying there dead. Doesn't that sound like Lower Greenville? That sounds exactly like Lower Greenville. <laughs> Y'all get in there, go, how's it going? Ed? What did JP call it? Two-time Tuesday, whatever it was called, what was it called? I don't know. He was a two-time scoundrel until he found the Lord. That's what I know. <laughs> Look, here's the thing, man. I want to say it again. The law wasn't given to redeem you. The law was given to those that are already redeemed. That's what the scripture says, by the way. Let me just read it to you, Romans 3.20. The works of the law were never there in order that you might be justified. No, no, no. The law was there to show you that sin is real. And God's just saying, now look, here's the deal. I'm holy, I don't jack around with what's not good and true and beautiful and right. This is not good and true and beautiful and right. So stay away from it because I know it looks life-giving. I know it's a popsicle, but it's gonna numb you and it will destroy you. Thou shall not lick blood popsicles. All God's saying to Israel, all he's saying to you and me is if you want to get warm, man, you got to stand near the fire. If you want peace, if you want joy, if you want life, you've got to get close and stay close to where life is. And he's just showing you, I'm where life is. That was bondage. False gods, bondage. By the way, what happened in Egypt? When you first got to Egypt, it was all, hey, man, you guys are awesome. There are people from your tribe that are telling us about the trouble that is to come. Man, we love you. We bless you. We're jealous of you. You're going to be slaves. Right? Now watch this. I mentioned the word jealous. Let's just deal with it. Second command, because I love you, I don't want you to make yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Oh, really? Here's the problem with that. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 says this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. I thought God was love. I mean, 1 John 4, it says God is love. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it says love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Does not brag. I thought, Todd... You said the only thing God was really concerned about was his glory. All he wants to do is make his glory known. That's what he's really about. 
Here's the deal. Follow me. There's two kinds of jealousy. There's the kind of jealousy that exists when you have a feeling of resentment for another person because of their success or their happiness or their accomplishments or the advantage they have over you. And that is a jealousy that is um, one that will make you covetous. Like if I had what they had, what Kathy had, what Tyreek Hill had, what Dak has, I'd be happy. And I'm jealous of their success or I'm jealous of their relationship or the attention they get. There's another way that jealousy can be used though. Jealousy is not just used about resentment towards somebody who has what you think would give you life if you had it. It can also be an intolerance of unfaithfulness or of anything which threatens what is beautiful. And that is what it means in Exodus 20 when it says that God is jealous for you. He doesn't want you to lick blood popsicles. He wants you to find life indeed. You see, this is how you can know if you've got a godlike jealousy, is if you see somebody truly happy, if you rejoice. Or if you're like, I don't want you to be happy unless it makes me happy. See, God's not like that. What God says, and here's the deal, God is consumed. Love is not arrogant and does not boast. All God does is he says, look at me, look who I am, look who I am. Now, why is God saying that? It's not because he's insecure and he doesn't need you to affirm who he is. He knows who he is. He's unchanging. What God's trying to let you do is see him. Because he knows if you see him, that he is the one who delivers you from bondage. He's the one that gives good things in whom there is no variance or shifting shadow. You're going to want more of him. And because he is life and light and love, you will then get what you can only get when you cozy up to him. Do you see that? God is not trying to establish his glory. God is trying to reveal his glory. What sin is, is trying to numb you from the reality of the pain that is coming. He is a deceiver. He tells you there's life over here when in the end it is death. God says, die to your desires. Follow me and you'll find life. So when God says, you shall have no other God because there is no other God, you're gonna be making it up. You're gonna serve a false God. False gods don't deliver you. False gods lead to what happened to Egypt. Don't make idols. Idols don't give life. I give life. There is no warmth besides that which is not a fire. And here's the truth of who I am. There's going to be consequences. I mean, I'm a good and gracious God. I'm patient and I'm kind. But sooner or later, I'm going to let you have what you want if you want it. Because what God does is when you commit the only sin that really matters to God, in fact, there's only one sin in the Bible that really matters. It's a primary sin. Everything else is not even so much a secondary sin, it's a judgment which ultimately comes because of the primary sin. What's the primary sin? When you reject the kindness, the goodness, and the love of the Father. And you make him out to be impetuous, or needy, or oppressive, and therefore you give yourself permission to not serve him, or want him, or to follow him. Here's the truth. Most of us don't struggle with the idea that God exists. Every time we sin, all we're doing is confessing, I don't think you're good. And I think when you say thou shalt, the enemy's right, that you're not good, your word's not true, and disobeying you is not that big a deal. And because he's patient, it's always not that big a deal right away. 
but do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Let me just read you an amazing little section of scripture. It comes in Psalm 106. This is what it says, Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. In other words, this is the most important thing. Start by reminding yourself, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. God's loving kindness is everlasting. It never stops. There is no variance, no shifting shadow. Who can speak in the mighty deeds of the Lord? You know why we come together and gather corporately? Man, to remind ourselves, God is good. Because when you get out there, the world starts to say, he's not that good. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. Look at the mirror. Look at your job. What about your family of origin? What about that doctor's diagnosis? Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? How blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times? All he's saying is those who know that thou shall is better understood is because God loves you and he's perfect. Verse four, remember me, O Lord, in your favor towards your people. Visit me with your salvation that I might see the prosperity of your chosen ones that walk in the way of life, that I might rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I might glory with your inheritance. Some of you guys have been here longer and there is a rejoicing happening here at the porch of the nation of the redeemed millennials of Dallas, Texas and Houston and Fort Worth and Joplin and Tulsa and all the other places and there's something going on where you guys are going, this is the life. And there is a redeemed nation that's happening here among you. Watch this. Verse six. Lord, we have sinned like our fathers. We've committed iniquity. We've behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt didn't understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindness. I mean, they weren't out of Egypt for a day and they started to say that you're a bad God to follow because it didn't look like there's any way you could deliver them from the next obstacle they faced even though you just plundered the most powerful nation on earth, there's a stinking Red Sea, and here comes that nation, and now they're angry. But you saved them for the sake of your name. That he might make his power known. He rebuked the Red Sea, it dried up, and he led them through the deeps and through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them, and he redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. And so then they believed his words. Then they had a worship service. They go, what were we thinking? God is good. Let's remind ourselves of this. But, man, does this sound like you? By Wednesday afternoon, they forgot his works. They didn't wait for his counsel. Like, hey, Lord, what shall we do? This good God who delivers us, what shall we do? But they craved intensely for what their flesh wanted and made sense in the wilderness. And they tempted God in the desert. So watch this. Here goes verse 15. So he gave them their request. Blood popsicles for everybody. I wouldn't eat the blood popsicle. Thou shalt not eat blood popsicles. The more you do it, the more you think it's not causing you problems because the sentence Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of men among them suck harder on blood popsicles. It's a loose paraphrase. <laughs> and they get numb, their conscience gets seared, and next thing you know, they go, I think I'm getting away from this. There's no God, what a joke. Bring on the party. And their tongue rages against the Lord. But then it says in verse 15, but he sent a wasting disease among them. If you get a Bible with a little number there, a margin note, the literal translation is he sent leanness to their soul. Man, if there is not a beautiful description of what it really means to be an individual that um, is experiencing everything that the world says you should get if, 
so that you can be happy and you've got it and you're being interviewed by Steve Croft on 60 Minutes and you just go, I don't know, man. There's a leanness in my soul. There's got to be more than this and I just don't know what it is. Thou shalt. I shall have no other God before him because he's the one true living God. And you're not going to find the life and the love and the light that you're looking for if you go anywhere else. I started this thing by talking a little bit about mental illness. Let me just end with this. It's a very familiar verse, but I want you to see why God is telling you thou shalt. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And here's the deal, guys. To summarize basically where we just were, here's the thing. You can pretend that there is no God for a while. But you won't be able to deny his word is true after a while. That leanness of your soul will get you. And some of you guys in your arrogance go, my soul doesn't feel lean, man. I'm, 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 I'm high in the hog right now. That abortion, that doesn't bother me. That sleeping around, I feel a little guilty, but it also feels really good. Dallas has given me enough, man. I'm doing good, I'm doing good. If you like what you got, keep doing what you're doing. I'm gonna warn you, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're not gonna like what you got. And God is patient and he is kind, but he is jealous. And just because the sentence against your little evil deed is not executed quickly, don't think for a second, Pharaoh, king of your own little Egypt, don't think for a second that you're gonna mock him for long. And God's not mad at you, man. He's not mad at you. You're gonna eventually experience that leanness to your soul. And so he's just over there saying, hey, man, come on home. Romans 1 through 11 is all about the love of God, delivering you out of the bondage and slavery to sin and the flesh. You don't have to be there. He's shown you who he is. He's demonstrated his love for you and that while you're still sinners, Christ died for you. Therefore, thou shalt, I urge you, because I love you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God who, who, who wants you to know how good he is. I, I want you to, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God, which is the right thing to do when you see how good and wonderful God is. You would run to him. If you saw the glory of God, if you knew that every good thing came from him and no good thing does he withhold from those who love him and in his presence is fullness of joy in his right hand are pleasures forever, you would go, I'm in, I'm running to you. So you will not be conformed to the flesh and to the world, but you will be continually transformed as your, your mind is changed. You're no longer gonna be mentally ill. This is mental illness. God isn't good, his word's not true. Disobeying him is not that big a deal. That is mental illness. And because of that, we abandon each other in families and relationships. We numb ourselves with drugs and medication. We try and find life in the world. We come from families where there's dysfunction and it messes with us and it turns into a brain illness. But why does God say this? He says this so that you may prove, come, come and listen to my thou shalt. So that you can prove with your own life the sweetness of God's way. So you can live righteously among the nations and testify to them that God's way is good so that you, not by being good, can prove that you're good. That's not what it says. It says so you can experience what is good and acceptable and perfect to the soul of man and woman. Guys, I'll close with this. I have known him now for 30 some odd years and I have never one time, I got nothing, I'm getting nothing from you for telling you this, except there's never been one time 
that I have followed in the goodness of the Lord's way that I have regretted it. I've missed out on sexual ecstasy for a season. I've missed out on opportunities to titillate my flesh, feather my bed, increase my worldly comfort. But I can't tell you how many people with more sexual relationships than I've ever had, more money than I'll ever make, more comfort than I could ever attain to are sitting at me and they go, bro, you got what I don't got. There's a leanness in my soul that I don't see in you. And I go, I know. Because for some crazy reason, God has let me see that thou shall means, Todd, because I love you. Come over here and be warmed by the glory of who I am. And I don't care what you've done or how long you've done it or how numb your tongue is. Come on back, man. Get your numb conscience and get your frozen tongue thought out by the fire of God's love. I'd love to have you here. Because just like I've been forgiven, his forgiveness is for you. Come on and show others the goodness of God's way. Who wants them? Let's go, people. There's a world desperate to know the truth. Father, I pray that truth would come from this room right here. And men and women would walk out of this, ta- this, this room tonight and rooms that we're in or we're broadcasting to, <coughs> and they would, they would just be heralds, Lord, of your goodness. They would sing your song. They would be Psalm 116 people, not just in this next moment, but Psalm 116, 106 people that would say, praise the Lord for he is good and all his ways are peace. With God, there is no variance or shifting shadow. And even though there are hard days, we have trouble in the midst of them, and he's gonna make it right. And until then, we see that he has made us righteous through the sacrifice of his son. Lord, thank you that your thou shalt are because I love you. Give us the faith to walk in them. Lord, you don't give us a law to redeem us. You give us the law of truth that we might experience a restoration of the soul, an enlightenment of the eyes. That you might give us lives that are clean, that are free from the disease of sin. And so, Lord, we bow our hearts and we bend our knees. And we say, you are good and you are holy. We recognize you for who you are. And we say, let us walk in your ways. Because we believe there is life there. If there is anybody in this room that has not ever acknowledged your goodness and that has been living in a way that is a testimony to that, I pray during this moment they would just repent, they'd come home, they'd just say, Lord, if you're there and you're good, I wanna know you. If it's true that you can lead me out of the bondage of sin, I want peace. And those of us that know, let us sing and let our lives sing all week long. In Jesus' name.